look, you are the last star player you're ever going to get on a rookie contract. Everyone else is going to work less hard than you, is going to care less, and is going to demand more money. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. We're going to do an intro at the top of this to sum up everything we will talk about this week. But the general topics, number one, how to break through a revenue plateau and also how a OMTM might help you do so as well as some difficult conversations. Then we're going to talk about the progression of P's. You could call it the Peter principle where people get hung up uh, in growing their businesses how different revenue levels typically require different skill sets to try to break through to the next revenue level. Finally, we are going to touch on some clever ways to address resume gaps as well as a, a few other little potpourri topics. Welcome back to the podcast, Boss Man. Hey there. Speaking of acronyms, I find myself spending at least, uh, I don't know, five to 10 minutes a day looking up acronyms that people are writing on Twitter and Reddit and other various places. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, you can only be part of so many of these subcultures and keep up with so many of these acronyms. And I think that's the unfortunate part about using acronyms in most cases is like, you can't really reach a broad audience with them. Like you're stuck with your little small world or else you're just forcing everybody to look these things up, I guess. So... Maybe you can uh, explain what that acronym is that you mentioned at the top of the show. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. If you stick around and hear about the acronyms, then you will become an insider. So that's very exciting stuff. The only ones <laughs> I'm really interested in are financial ones. No time for these cool kid acronyms. I, I just want to speak <laughs> about the financial ones. All right. Let's just jump right into it then. Already in one of the things we promised this year was some updates on our business Dynamite Jobs. We are looking to have, and I think we've already achieved a breakthrough month uh, in March here as of the recording of this in terms of revenue, in particular of the revenue of the product we're really focused on, which is our post a job and promotion services at the job board. We're trying to make that more intelligent, more explosive, more relevant to our users. And we put a lot of time and energy in this over the last 90 days specifically. And I want to take a little bit of a victory lap here on the podcast. Not a big one, but our results have gone from, say, the average job on DJ getting 75 applications in the first few weeks to getting nearly 200. So we're talking about an over a 100% improvement. And our revenue has tracked with that, surprisingly enough. We're looking to have an all-time month in revenue. The numbers haven't come in for that just yet, but it's really positive early sign. And I guess maybe the theme of this episode, Ian, is plateaus and how to break through them and sort of what we're doing specifically to do so. So we'll talk about it from an anecdotal experience here at the top, and then I want to talk a little theory. So in our case, Ian, with post-a-job promotions, we found ourselves at both a revenue and an, an effectiveness plateau in Q3 and Q4, where our pricing was the same 
but the results that our product was achieving were slowing down due to the candidate crunch of 2021. Essentially, if our clients were posting jobs for the same prices, the amount of great candidates they were getting from our platform was going down due to the economic situation in the world and the intensified competition. So yeah, Q3, Q4 last year, a lot of companies, they started to jump on this remote bandwagon, figured out kind of that this could be the new normal. My company operated fairly well during COVID with everyone out of the office without me looking over their shoulder. Maybe this is a thing. And candidates started to have a lot more opportunity and options, essentially, because uh, they weren't required to come into the office anymore. And that skill set translates, basically. So if you're working remotely in Ohio, or if you're working remotely in Europe, uh, you can work at any company now. It's also one of these things, Ian, where like I want to say things about why things are this way, but a lot of the things it's like trying to predict the marketplace. We don't exactly know why the marketplace is where it's at. So why did things like spike so hard like mid-year last year? I mean, COVID had already happened. Why was there all this salary inflation? You got to think there was something to do with the great retirement. Like all of a sudden there's a lot less professionals available. Like we saw salaries really, really spike. So we have a bunch of ideas and theories we're not exactly clear. In fact, we're seeing some regression on this, but the reality was at least during Q3 and Q4 for our particular clients, they weren't able to all of a sudden double their salaries or add a 30, 40% salary increase as some of the larger, more entrenched tech players were doing during that time frame. And so we had this existential question in the business, which is first off, getting real with what our clients want. So let's talk about that if you're at a plateau. Because some of our initial answers was, well, maybe our client should want something else. When we weren't able to deliver volume, we were tempted to think, well, they should want relevance. And so our initial response to the crunch in number of quality applications was to focus on our relevance products, which are our recruiting products. So we launched a whole bunch of like contract recruiting, help me hire, and we beefed up our team behind the recruiting product at DJ. And so this was good for the recruiting product, but the problem was, and I think why we still found ourselves at that plateau come around November, December, was we hadn't really addressed like the key emotional issue, which is that despite the difficult times in the marketplace, our clients still expected and wanted to see a huge number of quality applications for every job they posted. Yeah. And so we had to figure out, hey, how are we going to solve this problem? Our revenue is basically flat from a posted job perspective. And these people are actually getting less results for their money. So when you say posted job perspective, you mean like not our recruiting services, but specifically people who are paying for promotion. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting and worth pointing out that my first instinct was to blame anybody but myself. It was like the market, maybe these clients shouldn't expect that, maybe they should be raising their salaries. There's a shred of truth in all of that, but I think the harder thing was to look at our own service and say, well, how can we compete uniquely? If it's true that all these job boards who are just slapping up jobs, and it used to be the candidates were waiting around rubbing their hands, waiting for these jobs to come around. Now it's the case that they're up leveling into big tech or they're making twice as much as they used to make. Now we have to go to different regions. We have to go to different source points. We have to make different value props to candidates. We have to be more efficient with the ones that we do have. 
those were all harder problems to solve than just to blame the conditions of the overall marketplace. And so I think that was part of what helped us to dig through this plateau. The second part was simply like asking the harder questions, which is, I think we had a lot of clients that really fit our sweet spot and that we could slam dunk when those clients would come through. But that wasn't really the majority of people using DJ. The majority of people, I think, were like mildly unimpressed or just they kind of had a middling attitude about it, if I'm being honest. And it kind of worked for us. That's sort of the attitude. And that's not really good enough when you're a startup. Like your clients need to be like excited about the fact. And so we really dug in there and we asked ourselves, why aren't the majority of people who use this like super excited about it? And that led to some challenging conversations with clients. And I'll also point out ones that are worth inspiring your staff to have, because it's really easy to say, well, okay, here's a client who's super happy. I serve them. I got back to them. Everything's gravy. And then three other clients went away, mildly disappointed, but we're not talking about them. We're just focused on the one who really liked it. There's a lot of opportunity to focus on where you're not performing and ask yourself if there's something innovative you could do there to turn the ship around. And so we identified two key problems. We kind of had this framework. It's like a growth framework. So I'm going to share the acronym. It's a growth hacking framework called OMTM, the one metric that matters. The reality is for us to promote these jobs, Ian, there's so many moving parts. We've got developers, designers, marketers, VAs, account managers, and all these partner networks and email lists. And it's like, well, what matters? Like, why are some people walking away disappointed? And what we determined was what matters is speed, quantity, and quality. And so we decided that if the average client would see X number of quality applications, quality is a qualitative metric, but we try to narrow it down within this time frame, all of a sudden people would be super excited about using DJ. And, and the idea of OMTM is not that it's going to be like the North Star of your business forever, but that it's going to be something that you can sprint on for a quarter. So we had this idea of, hey, if we can meet this OMTM, which in our case is sort of, we framed it up as what if our clients within logging in within a week of posting a job at our site, they'd be sort of blown away at the number of options they had. What would it cost? What would it take to do that? And I think there's a lot of reasons why we didn't do it for every single job that came to the platform and digging into like why that was the case and what it would cost and how much focus there is on this particular issue ultimately were really productive conversations for us to be having. Yeah. And I think this framework can be applied to most businesses and you can figure out what your uh, value prop is going to be and you can test it out like over a quarter or a year. And I think it's exciting for us because this is a sentence and a and an idea that comes up like basically on a daily basis now. So it's like, how does that get us to our one metric that matters, right? And it helps us to keep focus in the business in terms of what we're building, the ways that we're talking to our customers. And again, Dan, this is a, it's such a hard pill to swallow because it's just simply getting back to the basics. And everyone is so bored and unimpressed with the basics. It's not a marketing hack. It is not. It's literally something that you have to hold your feet to the fire to every week. And that in a lot of ways can mean repetition. It can mean boring. It can mean grinding. But 
it's also the framework for doing exciting things in the future, digging out new opportunities, seeing new ideas, addressing new markets. But without this framework, without this foundation, it's very hard to build anything. So, you know, it's interesting too, because we've had a lot of like sexy features over the past couple of years of working on this business. Yeah. But that can be sometimes a, a sexy abstraction from the feature that our post job clients most care about is not in our system. It is the number of applications that they get that are relevant to their job. If you get one applicant that's kind of like just good enough, that's a lot different emotional experience than receiving like three or four people that were amazing that mm -hmm. you want to hire and that you feel bad you couldn't hire everybody. Like that's a completely different emotional experience on our platform. And having to hold ourselves responsible for delivering that, I think was a tough conversation for us because it's hard to control. It's easy to say, well, let's make this really cool feature. It's hard to control something that's a little bit broader. I think that's our feature, the fire in December and said, well, what if we're for a quarter, we held ourselves responsible. And there yeah. was those three different things that we did. The first is that we actually took control of that experience. So we built an ATS, we built an applicant tracking software. One of the difficult conversations we were having is our customers were getting a lot of irrelevant applications that look like spam. I mean, there are people that in a lot of cases that genuinely want the job. Sometimes there are spam applications. I'll just say it right now because we're trying to hire another developer. There's this trend of people mostly in the East claiming they are blockchain developers. Yeah. And they live in Canada. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you see blockchain developer on the resume, I'm like, and I even saw the trend. I was like looking through all this stuff and then I was asking our recruiting team, why is everybody blockchain? Is that just because it's the cool thing to say? Yeah. And nobody really gave me an answer. And then like, sure enough, when we start interviewing people, it's like, oh, if you're applying to a job that has several hundred employees, you put your blockchain developer, you can kind of talk a little of the talk. Like I could, and it's a remote position. I could see you slipping into the organization, outsourcing your work or not, but basically getting paid for three to six months. You get in a few projects. and Yeah. And it's a new scam. Pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Well, we're trying to get rid of that. <laughs> That's why we built an ATS. An ATS is a typically kind of a boring piece of software that helps you manage the applications that you're getting for a job. A lot of listeners of this show would use software like Typeform or, or Google Form that allows you just to see, say, the couple hundred people that apply to your job. Most larger companies have these ATSs because you have a broad range of people on your team looking at these applications at one time. It's really hard to do that in Typeform and Google Form. So essentially, we built a free tool for companies that don't buy ATS systems. Yeah. And there's a couple critical reasons for that. The first is, like you said, speed and collaboration. Like our ATS, like you can look at applications, say yes, no, maybe schedule calls very fast. I've been in that situation many times where I'm like at a Google spreadsheet that's expanded over two monitors trying to figure out what the skill set of somebody it sucks. is. That sucks. The other thing about the ATS though, Ian, is it allowed us to like inhabit that mindset experience that our clients feel, that emotion when you log in four or five, six days later after posting a job, what do you actually see? That we wanted to help manage that experience of, hey, here's the relevant people. Here's people that are interesting, a little less relevant. Here's some spam people. Here's all the totality of who's interested in your job. We really wanted to feel that experience and manage it essentially what our clients are paying for is that interface. So if we're distributing that interface to places like Google Docs or Typeform, first off, 
they can't even attribute that from dynamite jobs all the time. It could have been anybody who clicked on that link. And then we don't even get to exceed the results of what we're achieving together. And then finally, when we're tapped into the results, we can help jack them up, right? Now we see exactly how many people applied. This job needs more people. This application form's too complicated. Analytically speaking, here's like the highest CRO of an application form. So we're gonna provide that as a default. Our very first response to this idea that, okay, we've got this one metric that matters now. Well, we wanna control that deliverable. So we're gonna build like what would not be the sexiest recruiting feature of all time. We built some plumbing. We built some block and tackle basics, an application form and ATS so that we can help manage that deliverable that we're ultimately charging for. I think it's uh, fun to think about in everyone else's business, Dan, like what is this one metric that matters and how can you affect it? Because there's so many things that you could build. We could probably talk for a whole episode about like why we chose this ATS. You know, there's a lot of nuance in terms of you kind of went into some of it, but it was like a big decision. We had to go to the woodshed for like two months to get that done. And it's a company like ours, like that's a huge risk too, you know, to try and build something like that and hope that it works out. But it was amazing to see like the first couple of days that it was turned on, we we're like, oh, wow, this is crazy. Like we can log in, we can see what's going on. We can control the flow here. We can actually be in touch with this one metric that matters through this tool. So, you know, thinking about other businesses, a couple of things. One is uh, you have to talk to your customers. Second thing is you have to create a filter for the right? So it's like a lot of times people are coming to you and you think that you're solving one problem for them, you're actually solving another problem. It's not always rational too. Yeah. I think that's important. And it's not always your version of rational. And that's what's so fascinating about running a business at scale, right? Is like, you have to be exposed to these truths and be open to them. One of the things that I think was not hyper rational to us, but ended up being true for our clients is that we thought if you got one good candidate from DJ, like that was enough because you hired them. It turns out like that seems rational, but it wasn't true for our clients. Like they wanted options. They were actually paying us for option, multiple candidates. And I don't know, you're probably listening to this roll in your eyes, say, guys, come on. But look, we're, we got a bunch of different issues. We're not necessarily focused on this particular metric. It's just one thing of 50 on our desks. And it wasn't until we really targeted in on it and started asking questions about it that we made the realization. And the real easy thing to do there, which we did for months, which was turn back around to our customers and say, hey guys, don't you realize like what's going on here? And we even said it on this podcast, like remote is, everyone is going remote. This has gotten super competitive, like good luck, right? Instead of turning to ourselves and saying like, well, this problem's not going away. Somebody's going to solve this problem for these people. Like, shouldn't it be us? So the second thing is we dug into our numbers and we kind of found this like natural resonance in the universe, which is every job is really its own marketing launch. And I think intuitively, this is understandable. Candidates want to apply to jobs that are fresh, that have been posted within the last week. So we found if you post a job at DJ or other job boards for that matter, you're going to get about 96% of your applications within the first 14 days. And the majority of those you're going to get well within the first week. And so there is this natural launch dynamic. Now you can tool with this. You can pump the brakes on it. You can flatten the curve. You can make it more consistent. And, and there's a lot of reasons you'd want to do that, Ian. But you're charging, for example, for 30 days for a job post. That was an initial idea we had. So let's make sure that we deliver applications for 30 days. And so 
now you might pump the brakes on some of those initial promotional opportunities in order so that you have powder dry so that you can promote on week number three when people are still going to be looking at applications potentially. But what we saw is like, look, this is natural. What if we got behind the trend that's already happening and accentuated it rather than try to rebuild the wheel right now? And look, if we have ambitions someday about having like a daily price that you pay for a number of the applications, obviously building that ATS moves us one step in that direction. But that's the difference between taking a 5% step and taking a 100% step overnight. It would be awesome one day to charge for app, like quality applicants. Someday we're moving that direction. Right now, though, what we're seeing is a launch effect. And so we just looked at this reality and said, let's double down on what's already happening. So when we get the money from the client, we are investing all that money within 24 hours. And now it, that doesn't mean that all that money is going to market to promote jobs within 24 hours. It just means that every single time someone posts with us, it's like a product launch. So speed is really critical. So for example, where in some cases we might've waited a few days to send a particular email for a job to target a certain group of people, that's happening within 24 hours. All the third party partners are happening within 24 hours. And we're also setting that expectation with our customers, which gives us an added benefit of faster rebuys. So instead of spreading it out over a month, if people understand this dynamic of the 14 days, and then they say, man, I had a great first 14 days, let's have another 14 days, and then we can charge for that. The second thing we did was we decided to give every single job its own marketing launch and leverage that natural launch quality of jobs. I know that sounds a little bit vague and that's true because our competitors listen to this podcast and there's really cool things that we're doing for those launches. But you all know that in all your business. There's like little black box things. There's little secret sauce things that you figure out. But the main idea was is going with that flow that's already out there in the marketplace and building that up versus trying to reinvent the wheel there. Yeah. There was a natural progression to the way that the applications were coming through the door. Like you said, candidates want to feel like they're applying to a new job, a fresh job. There are jobs on our site that have been there for months. And part of the reason is because they're rolling open roles where the company is just constantly hiring for them. But then there's also jobs that people, they can't hire for and they can't find the right person and they're just open indefinitely. Usually because there's some kind of fit with salary or location or requirements or something like that. But your candidates aren't dumb, obviously. They see this. They know that it's stale. It's, for me, it's a car on Craigslist. It's been there for two months. Like, What's wrong with it? Somebody like me should have already bought this by now. I'm sure someone already spent their time to go over there, looked at it, found something that the seller isn't disclosing. So, yeah, and I think candidates are smart too. Like, you know, a lot of this episode is really about to break through plateaus. You got to read between the lines because all this stuff isn't legible. So, hopefully, by like kind of listening to us confusedly walk around this issue, you understand that digging into these details and trying to simplify them such that you can take action on them and run experiments is essentially our process to entrepreneurship and what we're trying to share here. Finally, and the third thing is, especially in Q1 in 2022, our organic reach has exploded. It's a combination between the Google gods, Ian, which we make daily offerings to. Yeah, those guys. Of incense and soaps and herbs. Whatever it takes, man. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what it takes anymore. Google is just a broken search engine as far as I'm concerned now. I will take what I can get in terms of search results, but <laughs> I do not think people are using it the way that they used to. And I certainly don't understand it to the same level that I used to. 
Yeah, 100%. The other uh, element is that we're targeting social media audiences with content that's yep. specific to jobs. Like, hey, look at this great developer job. It's got these attributes and going to social media with that and, and finding people where they hang out. And all this has led to many four-figure days in terms of our candidate database. And these candidates are quality. They're looking to apply to your jobs. And I don't know exactly what to attribute it to. It just seems like there's been a lot of block and tackling and consistency. And every day we realize like we're selling candidates at the end of the day. So we have to find ways to compel them to come to our platform. And so far what's worked for us is underlining the unique quality of the jobs on our platform. So our best marketing material has been the jobs themselves. I just want to give a big thanks to all of you who listened to ads like this and went on over to dynamitejobs.com to see what we've got going on over there. Because of that, we've helped place hundreds of qualified remote professionals in your companies last year. And for this holiday season, many of you are gearing up your operation for continued growth in 2022. And to help you do it, we've got three exciting options for you to explore. The first is our entirely new hiring platform with a job post dashboard that allows you to repost and promote anytime. We've got a growing list of features there, including intelligent promotion options to help you get the maximum amount of applications. We've also got our done for you service. If you're sick of sorting, assessing, and interviewing, you can hire our senior recruiting staff to do the heavy lifting on your behalf. They are experienced at identifying trajectory, alignment, salary fit, and much more. And the best part is it's a flat fee. If you're hiring multiple times in 2022, we're offering bundles with steep discounts. Head on over to dynamitejobs.com and book a call to hear about that. And finally, we offer contract recruiting. That's right, a zero risk hiring option. If you don't really know about the long-term fit, or if you're looking for a partner to help take care of the legalities of hiring contractors, we can do that for a monthly fee for the contractors that you bring on board. So let's grow together. If you're looking to grow your remote business, book a call with our team and find out today how Dynamite Jobs can help. You can find out about this and much more over at dynamitejobs.com slash remote recruiting. So I thought it would be interesting. We told our narrative if we used a previous guest. So Eamon came on and gave us some CEO coaching, Ian. And I've been calling his framework of the different levels of revenues of a business and the skill sets and the processes that are necessary to break through plateaus as the march of P's. Everything starts with a P. And what we've been talking about so far in this episode was process. So we broke down our process of cash flow for what at the time was the one we wanted to improve the most our post a job cash flow, so our job promotion cash flow. And we asked ourselves, what are people really paying for? And what they're paying for is the belief that when they log in a week later, they're gonna be delighted at their options. And again, all this stuff is hypothesis right now based on conversations with clients and so on. And so then we created a one metric that matters and a system for people and costs that can execute on that key cash flow process. And we feel like if we can create super excited users, satisfied customers, they're gonna buy more often from us and they're gonna suggest that other people buy from us as well. So that's the fundamental strategy there. And these are strategies that companies in six-figure range 
and low seven-figure range, they're building product, they're promoting the product, and then they're making legible the process at which they create cash flows. So those are the first three Ps, product, promotion, and process. And by digging into the process element over the past few months, we've really broke through a plateau. So that was really cool. So we've got our product, we've got our promotion, we're digging into our process because we do have some elements of not exactly sure how the cash flows are coming, why they're not improving, digging in, tweaking that. When you got all that going, the next P that comes is people. And what I really like about Eamon's framework is until mid seven figures, he's really about plugging people into cash flows, which is a common TMBA theme. And I think in our community, we're seeing a lot of people jump the gun and get ahead of themselves and like at the mid to high six figure range, starting to like hire more manager types or executive types. And I think Eamon, my interpretation of his message was, no, no, that's a little bit ahead of the game there. You got to plug in people to make these cash flow processes move faster. That's the most effective way in the sort of low seven figure range. Now we've got people backflowing into your cash flows. And this is sort of the situation that Ian and I find ourselves in. And the next level and the level that reason most businesses crap out or sort of reach the end of their growth around a couple million dollars in revenue is now we've got a bunch of players. You can't be the star player anymore. You got to be the coach. Now you're getting two, three, four million dollars of revenue a year. You've backfilled your cash flow processes with people that are making them faster. Now you need to start to bring in the high level professionals, the executives who can start to leverage you out of the day-to-day performance element of the business. And this is not quite where we're at yet, but we're moving there. And we've already done it with our recruiting side and we've done it with the software side. So we're moving in this direction. And I'll point out uh, a lot of companies never get to this level. A lot of companies just continue on the first path of P's, which is a product. They just kind of hum along at the first level where they have a little cash generating machine and they never have to involve staff or a lot of staff, right? Or coach Mm -hmm. or do any of this stuff. They just basically execute on the product all day. And I think that's fine. I think that's a great place to exist. I think it can be very profitable. But we've always kind of been interested in this next level where you're kind of creatively working on the business instead of working in the business. And I'll just point out this NBA, how many top players have gone on to be coaches? Yeah. Or how many coaches now have been players? Yeah. It's probably 95%, 90%, at least at the college level. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. Someone don't fact check me. <laughs> but I was be just my thinking guess. about it in terms of sports, you know, the ways that it works there too, because you kind of get to strategically, you get to be a player in the game and then you start to think and see things strategically, right? And then it's like, well, okay, I've kind of maxed out right now. I've taken all the testosterone that I can take. I can no longer play this game physically. So what am I going to do? I'm going to become a coach. This is why I love the early focus on employees who are backfilling cash flows and having rock solid processes for making money. Because one of the points that Eamon made is he's like, look, you are the last star player you're ever going to get on a rookie contract. Everyone else is going to work less hard than you, is going to care less, and is going to demand more money. And so that means that transition to player to coach is really about when you're ready to, to pick up the clipboard, 
you have to have a rock solid legacy in place in terms of product promotion and people. You got to have your name in the rafters as a player. And now all of a sudden, we're not jumping the gun. And I want to flag this up because I see a lot of people trying to get to that mid seven figure business by jumping the gun on bringing in the executives that are kind of doomed to failure because there's no clarity on how the business will grow. This is why I like how Eamon has really pointed out that this is happening at like three to 4 million where you're really turning into a coach and bringing in the executives. So what happens when the executives come in or the other star players start to come in at mid seven figures, low seven figures, that's when we start to plan. And you can see like a lot of what we've been talking about is like really retrospective. Like we're digging back into what our clients are saying. We're digging back into our clients. We're refactoring our code. We're going back to those processes and asking ourselves, how do they become faster? How do we get more rebuys? All these kinds of things. How do we get more customers? Now you're a coach and you have to plan for the future. The main function is you're recruiting and coaching essentially, because that's how you plan for the future, right? Is that you make sure that you've got a really strong bench and that you've got a really strong recruiting class comes in next year because there's always going to be people turning in and out of your business and you got to be ready to put the second team in. Yeah. So one of the things that I suspect might happen in our case, Ian, and using this framework to anticipate our next few moves is that our posted job product, if it continues to grow at this level, we're really going to have to be strategic about who we hire to fill into that process and specifically identify them as folks who can make that process go faster. Let's move on to some just some potpourri topics here at the end, Ian. I have a tweet here from Rob Walling that says, it bodes well for bootstrappers that several of the larger tech companies are moving away from remote in the next couple of months, quote, work from home might once again become a unique perk. I don't know how much we're really competing with Google engineers. There's such different tracks in life, but I agree. If generally speaking, there's this remote forced notion that's creating this collective eye roll around the nation of having to figure out some hybrid solution or having to apply to HR to like work from a different time zone or country, it all bodes well for companies like ours that aren't tracking people's location or time yep. and merely want people that want to make a difference in small organizations. Final topic, Ian found on Twitter following the Hustles Twitter account. They quoted out an article from LinkedIn that suggests that now there's 13 options to fill a resume gap. Everything from you were a stay-at-home parent to that you took time for mental health. And I thought this was an interesting topic. And now all of a sudden there's a slew of resume gaps caused by the pandemic, which was probably a little bit more common in our industries because we attract people who are more project-based and more free thinkers in regards to career, more travel interested. But I thought it would be interesting to hold ourselves to the task of maybe a few ways that are like you should deal with a resume gap, heaven forbid, if you have one, what might you do? What might be the TMBA guide to resume gaps? Yeah, I think historically speaking, we've kind of laughed at this topic because the idea for us personally of a resume gap like shows our freedom yeah, and our independence in some way. But actually when you're hiring people, it matters. Um, it does matter. We yeah. had an old guy conversation realization today. I've made fun of resume gaps for years on this podcast until now I'm on the other side of it. And I'm like, well, yeah, it does kind of matter. 
So that's why, I mean, maybe we're making fun of it because we have anxiety about it, right? It is a terrible feeling when you're in your mid twenties and you say, okay, so I'm not allowed to have a gap on this thing for the next 25 years, right? Yeah. It means I'm never going to be able to go to Spain for a month. I'm never going to be able to ride my bike across the country, have an adventure that has nothing to do with going to work every single day. But the great news is you can't have all those things nowadays. You just got to figure out how to manage the resume break, which are becoming much more common. Here's five things to get your reactions to them, Ian. The first idea is just to be honest about it, but have a really strong narrative. I think this can work really well if your resume is aligned with your industry already. Mm -hmm. I think the reality is a lot of people in upper management and companies, they also really understand this kind of thing. And that being just straight up transparent about what you did um, might be the best strategy. You just have to calibrate for your audience. The second strategy, diametrically opposed, Ian, just lie about it. If you can, I mean, depending on the kind of conversations you're having, if you're talking with a pointy haired boss with a pocket protector that is going to uh, discount your work quality because of some white space on your resume, perhaps a white lie or some obscuring of the dates of previous roles might be in order. You can kind of tell sometimes like some conversations aren't worth having, Ian. And it's like, who cares about the break? Let's talk about work. If I obscure this little detail, we'll get to do exactly that. So you could calibrate that direction as well. What do you think of that unethical advice, Ian? Sounds in line with something I would do. So I think I approve. <laughs> the third option we came up with uh, is a strong, ambitious lifestyle block. Uh, a lot of folks like us, if you said to me, in a job application that, you know, for a year I went to Thailand, worked on some freelance projects and studied Muay Thai. I would think that that's pretty interesting, particularly if, you know, you competed in tournaments that you read a lot of books on the topic or just showed a kind of a competitive passion for what you were doing. It's less cool if you just did Muay Thai for 12 months. That's not nearly as cool as like you kind of were boss-like about it. So you might be able to combine points number two with points number three and create an interesting narrative that's relevant to the employer. And again, like the thing about these resume gaps is just don't make it an L for your employer, the HR person you're talking to. Try to frame it up in a way that's positive for them that you're here right now on this call. So this third one is the greatest one for me so far, and it can be... Uh... It can be a little bit slippery, I guess. So let's imagine you're a developer and you're like, you don't really like being a developer anymore. It's tiring. You kind of hate the work. And so what are you going to do? You saved up enough money. Now you're going to go do Muay Thai for a year. Well, money ran out. Muay Thai was great, but you didn't really figure out this career problem. You just essentially put it off with the Muay Thai. So then what are you doing? You're reapplying to engineering jobs after your year-long Muay Thai sabbatical with the attitude of, well, I guess I have to pick this up again because I didn't figure anything else out in the meantime. That's the worst when that person comes across the desk because you realize they don't actually want to be there. You know what every great salesperson has, Ian? They got one thing. It's not the pen in my right hand. It's conviction, okay? There you go. So you got to go back. Okay, you had a little life crisis a year ago. You decided you're going to go study Muay Thai. That's cool. Everybody understands that. But here's what's not cool is schlepping up to your next job interview and saying that you were disillusioned with your life as a developer, so you went to Thailand. That's not going to cut it. 
you have to frame up that there was an opportunity, a once in a lifetime opportunity for you to go study the sport that you're passionate about because you got a severance, because you were done with the big project, because it was an easy letdown with the old employer, because you decided your next job was gonna be remote and you were going to office. I don't care what it is, have some conviction about it, sell yourself to that next employer. That's point number three. Point number four, don't create a resume break. Still have one. Ideally, you would be doing something career relevant the whole time. So you're on a learning break, you're doing free work, you're doing mentorship, yeah. online classes, the same deal with the Muay Thai, but just replace it with something industry specific. You yeah. don't have to be sitting in a nine to five to be doing things that are interesting and relevant for your career. There's a creative way to weave that narrative as well. Muay Thai relevant to uh, coding. Absolutely. I mean, that's your job, unless you're going to like just drop it like an egg on the hiring person's desk. Yeah. The person you're talking to isn't the person making the final decision. So you need to equip them with the narrative to go to the next person. And so if you took a career break to go write a novel or whatever, you could say, well, I also took these two classes about writing while I was doing it. I finished it. I did this. And now I'm transitioning into a career in content marketing where I can leverage these skills, blah, blah, blah. Figure it out. The final point is pivot candidate. So I'll call a pivot candidate is a candidate who maybe a good culture fit has good education, this kind of stuff, but their career isn't obvious that it would parlay into the job they're applying to. It's not like the obvious next step. And the reality is like, aside from like high level candidates, this is very commonly, these candidates have a good chance of getting jobs, but typically pivot candidates are a harder sell unless you have a strong pivot foot. So we'll come back to our basketball analogies. The good news about a strong pivot foot is that you can create one fast. And the pivot foot is simply this. You have to have a strong narrative and at least a small body of behavior that makes it clear to the company you're applying to as to why you're making a career change. Say you worked in as a bartender for five years and then you went to Thailand and now you want to be a digital marketer. Okay, well, what happened in Thailand? Who did you meet? What did you learn? What course did you take? What blog did you start? What Twitter account are you promoting? There has to be that strong yeah. pivot foot. This strategy is very simple and I think it's very effective. I've seen it several times done right and most of the time it's done wrong. The pivot cannot be applying for the job. That 100%. is not the pivot. The pivot needs to happen three to six months before and do what you said you should do, Dan, which is like set up your Twitter account, set up your website, do whatever it takes to make you look like you're legitimately making this move, right? You have Dodger hair, whatever it takes. You know, what's interesting about this too is all time level for like the low amount of effort you can put into this. It used to be like people would work for six to 12 months longer at a job so that they could demonstrate to the next employer. Now we're talking about like six to 10 hours you could spend. For example, like if someone's hiring like a digital marketer or whatever, you have some experience on your resume, just seeing like one or two demonstrations of projects, like as long as it's relevant and it's high quality, that could be enough. That could be something yeah. you created in a weekend versus you had to work for years at some company. An employer, speaking from experience here, an employer does not want to be the catalyst for your life change. It's too expensive. You have to do that yeah. life change on your own. And so come to me after you've already made the decision that you're moving forward, you got a little bit of steam going. Final thing I'll say on this, Dan, about resume gaps is uh, it has never been easier to fabricate something or to like make it make sense because <laughs> we're talking about remote jobs here. Like it used to be the case that you would come into my office 
I would interview with you and then I would walk you to the car to see if you had six cats with you, like traveling around in your car. And if you did, then I'd probably hire you, honestly, because yeah. I like cats, but most people probably wouldn't. So it has never been easier to put on a fake backdrop in your apartment. And I'm not necessarily uh, saying do anything illegal or totally immoral here, but like, look, come up with a story, a narrative, a trajectory, whatever it is, and like make this thing work because it's not that hard these days. Yeah. I totally agree with you. And the other side of it is I love that you're taking the dark side, but the light side is is the same conversation, which is like people aren't judging people in the same way as they did in the past. Like these digital f- footprints, they're less expensive to build than a classic resume. Think about what we're talking about with the resume gap. We're talking about 6, 12, 18, 24 months of your life. We're talking about a couple of weeks of work here that could duplicate what previous generations. So they sat around in jobs they didn't like for years so that they could say, go to the next job with three or four years of experience. Whereas I think you can model that kind of thing online in a fraction of the time. And that's why we're living in exciting times. All right. Those are our parting shots. That's it for this week. We'll be back as always next week, Thursday, 8 a.m. Eastern time. See you then, boss man. See ya. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.